Welcome to the Swiss Peace Podcast, where we present analysis and recommendations from our report, Strengthening Knowledge Ecosystems. These are the outcomes of a practice-oriented research project on knowledge production in high-risk countries. Swiss Peace is a practice and research institute affiliated with the University of Basel. We are dedicated to reducing violence and promoting peace in contexts affected by conflicts. My name is Emma Baumhofer. I'm the digital peace building expert at Swiss Peace, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Researchers in conflict contexts face challenges in their work when seeking funding, trying to access information, or publishing the results. What role can research funders play to alleviate these challenges? This question is at the heart of the Knowledge Ecosystem Report, which is based on research in eight countries. Today, we'll zoom in on three, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Laos. You'll hear directly from our research partners on how knowledge ecosystems in their countries are developing. The knowledge ecosystem in South Sudan is really at a very foundational stage. Coordination and sharing information within and across sectoral research institutes are relatively limited. Funding challenges they're facing. Most of the researchers are working and they pay for their research work by themselves. And how we assess the collaboration between international institutions and local researchers. Researchers in Afghanistan are used in an extractive sense. I'm looking forward to sharing these insights and recommendations. First, let's give the report some context. It comes at the end of a two-year report undertaken in partnership with the International Research Development Center, IDRC, in Canada. But these are topics of long-standing interest for Swiss Peace. It is essential for us to understand these research ecosystems in order to be able to plan better and more sustainable projects. To explain further, I'll hand over to Dr. Laurent Gauthier, Director of Swiss Peace and Professor of Political Science at the University of Basel, and to Ursina Bentley, Swiss Peace Program Officer and Project Lead. Laurent, when you think back, why did Swiss Peace enter this collaboration? What was our interest? When we were approached about the idea to do such uh, research, for us, it immediately rang a bell because we have been active in uh, fragile contexts uh, with research partnerships for years and years. And uh, we have continued to encounter challenges, um, uh, not because uh, there wouldn't be enough bright researchers down there, but because they didn't have access to the right resources, they often lacked certain skills because they couldn't acquire the skills in the existing uh, university systems, but also because uh, they were not the right research positions available, both for PhD students or for postdoc researchers, and even less for professors who were totally absorbed through teaching in the respective context. Now, Orsina, after I told you all of this uh, regarding our incentives to uh, engage in such an undertaking, could you tell me how you designed this whole uh, research project? 
So in the beginning, uh, when we were in discussion with IDRC, our focus was how can we get a perspective on on this challenge of making research relevant and locally grounded. How can we make a contribution? Um, IDRC has contacted us and it was to uh, both uh, Swiss Peace and IDRC clear that we would need uh, local partners to do this and that we would take this from a very context-specific perspective. So we chose different case studies where we would take a closer look and do a deep dive into the respective knowledge ecosystem. And we partnered up with um, consultants who are either based in these contexts or have been working for a long time in these contexts and were familiar with the research system. We chose a variety of contexts and will now present uh, South Sudan, Laos and Afghanistan in more detail. And in terms of methodology, we took a whole of system uh, approach with the idea that Research does not only happen at university, but also at NGOs and other actors who are involved in knowledge production. And we wanted to get a comprehensive look. Let's get right into the first case study, Afghanistan. From 2001 onwards, the demand for short-term, policy-relevant, and mostly social science-oriented research outputs in support of the International Reconstruction Project was high, and this demand almost exclusively came from outside the country. Funding overwhelmingly came from international actors, such as Western governments, development agencies, peacebuilding actors, and the military. The Afghan government was largely absent from the research system and made limited use of research outputs for policymaking. Let's hear from our first consultant. Hi, my name is Nishank Motwani and I'm the Director of Research and Policy at ATR Consulting in Kabul. For this study, I conducted research with Afghan think tanks, universities, media organizations, and Afghan government departments with research units. There were a range of findings that emerged from my discussions, but I'm going to share three. The first one is that researchers in Afghanistan are used in an extractive sense. And what that means is that international donors, when they fund projects in Afghanistan, use a lot of the local staff for data collection, but not so much in data analysis and report writing. And this is evidenced by the fact that a lot of the discourse in Afghanistan is dominated by Western voices and not by Afghan voices. The second point uh, I'd like to bring up is that donors have played a key role in helping establish a research base. That research base is still emerging, but nonetheless, it has taken root. Uh, But it is undermined by the fact that donors have shifting priorities, and that often constrains research potential and sustainability. The case in point here is that the funding that's provided is primarily done on a project-based model, as opposed to providing core funding or longer-term program funding that can be three to five years. And this project-based funding model has detracted from research organizations to set their own agendas, have a longer-term focus, to invest in capacities, to publish or to develop that expertise in a particular thematic area. So in order to address this problem, donors need to expand either their core uh, funding or their longer-term program funding so that local institutions can invest in strengthening their capacities and have control over their research agendas and publish their findings. And this brings me to the third point, which is that the overwhelming majority of publications and research that 
emanates from Afghanistan or is on Afghanistan is primarily in English or in other European languages. This is meant for overseas consumption and not for consumption within Afghanistan because it's not published in the local languages of Dari and Pashto. And what that means is, as a result, that it harms the potential of building a local research base which does not include people who are not well-versed in English. So in order to address this, publications need to be published in Dari and Pashto and to do that in a manner the same quality as the English language. And this is going to require time and investment, but it is greatly appreciated when it is done properly because these reports are then used by provincial universities, by students in districts that don't have access to the resources that other universities do in the bigger provincial capitals, such as Mazari Sharif or in Kabul. Uh, so these were the three points I wanted to share, and I look forward to the rest of the discussion. We'll turn now to South Sudan, a region that has experienced violent conflict for decades. This has created a legacy of poverty, destruction, trauma, and social division along ethnic and other social and political lines. Two-thirds of the population need humanitarian assistance. The civil wars have also ravaged the country's educational system, leading to low literacy rates. Long and frustrating negotiations of peace agreements and their limited and flawed implementation have contributed to the lack of trust in politics to deliver the peace that was promised. Furthermore, extreme weather is increasing food insecurity and poverty, and the COVID-19 pandemic has deepened problems in South Sudan by interrupting economic activity, schooling, and damaging the health system. The South Sudan knowledge ecosystem is marked by this trajectory of conflicts and crises. Hi, my name is Malishian Peter. I'm a policy analyst with the Institute of Social Policy and Research in Juba. ISPIRA is an independent research institution that specializes in policy analysis, management consultancies, and specializes in trainings for civil society groups, government, and private sector. The knowledge ecosystem in South Sudan is really at a very foundational stage. And as we are all aware, when we speak of um, research industry, it goes hand in hand with the educational um, system, the educational quality and, and capacity in the country. And in South Sudan, the entire sector is still being established, which also influences the quality of research that even institutions of higher learning do engage in. Within the civil society sector, a number of um, independent, non-profit and non-governmental think tanks have really come up to be able to bridge the gap and provide some perspectives into different policy frameworks. But again, these institutions are highly influenced. They really depend on the founders where they probably acquire the education from. Uh, most of the research work or um, studies that are really conducted in South Sudan are highly influenced by external actors. This could be the UN systems, the international NGOs, the embassies, and even international or multinational companies that commission studies specifically to uh, address the specific program or business case needs. And, and that becomes a little bit of a problem because in such situation, the independence of research becomes not really guaranteed as one has to 
really deliver within the framework or within the scope of work that has been agreed. The most common challenges that faces researchers in South Sudan are really one, the politically sensitive environment where researchers find themselves to really be careful with the text of what they write in final report findings. You have to ensure that you remain as neutral as possible, impartial and nonpartisan, even if you are dealing with a topic that really requires you to come out clearly with your conclusion. Another issue also relates to the operational costs. If you want to conduct a study that covers um, just 70% of the country, uh, that means you have to fly enumerators or research assistant assistants across the country to reach to the different location to interview community representatives. This really makes research very expensive in average if you compare it within most of the countries in East Africa. The other challenge also is really about uh, the ethical consideration. Sassanan does not have a, a government or legal entity that regulates research ethics when it comes to different sensitive topics, but at sectoral level, different ministries do have um, review boards or directorates who authorizes research work. And with this, it, it's really problematic if you have a research that cuts across multinational or multidimensional um, sectors, then you have to maneuver different ministries, departments to get this kind of approvals. And sometimes it's very problematic because it's not really driven by the need to ensure quality in the research outcome, but it's more about income generation also for these government institutions since they also struggle to really finance themselves. And the last bit is more to do with the funding situation in the country. There are no independent or government budgets that really finances research work, whether for universities or think tanks or even civil society groups. It's all about either consultancy where people apply for competitively with different actors globally. And in this case, of course, as South Sudanese or national researchers with low capacity, they end up really being pushed off the line because they could not really compete with well-established institutions. The three key findings of the research case study in South Sudan um, resonates around one, funding. Uh, there's need to really have a dedicated basket fund that is more predictable and accessible to emerging researchers, especially those at the national level, so that they, they would be able to explore and put their ideas into perspective and really conduct the research they want. Secondly, for the government is really to ensure that the research space is open up, that knowledge management becomes a utilized resource for government to make use in terms of policy making, reviewing its programs, and really in knowing what are the perspectives of uh, citizens or different stakeholders in regards to what's going on. So without opening up the research industry, providing that leadership and civic space, then it becomes quite problematic for uh, researchers to really engage in knowledge generation in South Sudan. The third one is really about building systematically uh, the knowledge management industry, and this means the government need to put in place the required policy frameworks, the institutions or structures that can really help regulate and provide technical assistance and support to researchers, whether be it in the country or externally. For research industry to really pick up, there is need to have 
coordinated approach of all actors, and this includes the government, the civil society, and the institutions of higher learning, the donors. They need to really start coming out clearly and, and shape the research industry in a more systemic way. Because at the moment, it's more like really project-based. Everyone is doing what suits their own interests, and there's no collective effort to see how to preserve knowledge and generate knowledge that future generations will really know what's going on. Looking back, the years leading up to and following South Sudan's independence in 2011 were marked by strengthening research in and on the South Sudan. An increasing flow of international funding supported external and South Sudanese researchers and the creation of research institutes. However, with the outbreak of civil wars in 2013 and 16, international funding was redirected towards humanitarian action. Researchers also tended towards topics related to humanitarian aid, providing analysis and data to inform programming. As Malish John Peter outlined, such mandated research continued to be funded externally and focused on donor-driven research agendas. For the South Sudan knowledge ecosystem to turn into a more enabling environment, structural and financial inputs are needed. Let's hear more on this from our second South Sudanese consultant. My name is Dr. Owen Ndoromo. I'm a developmental psychologist. My specialization is actually behavioral science and social psychology. Knowledge system is a method by which research knowledge can be managed and used during decision making. The most common thing mentioned by the researchers was lack of funding for carrying out research studies in the field. On addition of that, Poor insecurity and the infrastructure, such as the poor roads, poor internet, all this contributed to the most common thing that they think should be improved. All these activities cannot allow uh, researchers to conduct a good research. For research to be strengthened, there is a need of funding for the researchers. Improved insecurity problems which can create good relationship with the area of collecting the data. Therefore, successful research data collection during research needs a good relationship with the people on the ground. What surprised me during these studies is actually the poor relationship between the researchers and the government. Government does not fund researchers. There is no funding for researchers in South Sudan. Researchers, most of the researchers, they are working and they pay for their research work by themselves because uh, most of them are working with the government, others are working with the international organizations and the non-governmental organizations. Others got scholarship from friendly countries. The role of the government, specifically the Ministry of Education, is actually to do the selection of the students to go for the scholarship only. Lastly, I think from my own perspective, the government of South Sudan should try to use research finding for better development of the state. We need a better place for protection 
of our research findings, such as libraries and the research centers. This can protect our research document documents, and these documents will help us even during decision-making and implementation of the work in the state. Thank you very much. The third case study presented in this podcast looks at the Lao People's Democratic Republic, Laos, a country in transition for the better part of the past century. Under French protectorate for decades, Laos became fully independent as a constitutional monarchy in 1953. In 1975, the communist Pathet Lao prevailed and took control of the government, instituting a socialist regime with close ties to Vietnam. Following years of isolation, Laos gradually opened to economic liberalization and private enterprise. But despite greater economic openness, the country remains poor and dependent on foreign aid. In view of the Lao knowledge ecosystem, it is worth mentioning that according to the BBC, the ruling Lao People's Revolutionary Party, quote, exerts tight control over the media and the government owns most of the mainstream outlets, end quote. Authorities use legal restrictions and intimidation tactics against state critics, and as a result, self-censorship is widespread. Authorities monitor expression of public dissent, especially on social media, with punishments including prison sentences. These facts come from Freedom House's Global Freedom Score 2021 for Laos. Consequently, there is little space for free expression of views on political or sensitive issues without fear of surveillance or prosecution. This in turn may lead to blind spots because it tilts knowledge production toward the dominant official discourse. However, we did observe an increase in science-based and rigorous data collection and analysis. While it is true that the Lao knowledge ecosystem is in its infancy, anecdotal evidence and knowledge rooted in political doctrine are now gradually complemented or replaced by evidence-based mechanisms. Our research partner in Vientiane outlines his specific challenges and their recommendations for research donors. Hi, I have experience in social and rural development for more than three decades. I am currently freelance consultant for social development and I am based in Vientiane Capital, Lao PDR. Research is relatively new for Laos comparing to the neighboring countries. Researchers and research institutions are most mandated by their respective ministry or agencies to conduct research in an ad hoc manner for solving specific problems. Coordination and sharing information within and across sectoral research institutes are relatively limited. Most of the research results are localized. There are platforms for sharing information, such as the National Research Forum, policy brief papers, policy dialogue, etc. But those are relatively in low quality, which are insufficient to build up the policymakers' interest. Research to policy challenging, therefore. A research quoted, proud to be a researcher, but it needs to have clear policies supporting researchers in terms of economic and social benefits, incentives, including professional rights from the government. 
it has no safeguards to protect the rights to freedom of expression, which hinders research to report the truth. Policy makers are highly appreciated positive feedbacks, but are less likely open to accept critical thinking. Critics is tolerated at certain degree if it does not form part of any constructive movement of dissent or create harm to the country. In such circumstances, researchers are confident to share only part of their research findings to the public, which are politically less sensitive and minimum challenging the government's policy and power. Thank you. We've heard from Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Laos. Let's return to Laurent Gauthier and Arsina Bentele to learn what conclusions the research team draws from these case studies. Arsina, these are really fascinating results from the different case studies we have just heard. But now, summing up, scaling up, if we think about these results in terms of recommendations to potential donors, what would you say? Well, a recommendation that we found for all or almost all case studies is the need to invest in long-term programs. These allow for more consistency, predictability. They allow researchers to plan ahead, and also, yeah, given the volatile nature of high-risk countries that we have just heard about now, research donors should also promote adaptive research and be open and flexible when implementing these projects. So investing more in uh, institutions, core funding, etc. But Ursina, if I may interrupt, I remember a certain research project we had also in the past in context where the universities and research structures in general didn't have a lot of independence compared to the state structures. On the contrary, they were very intimate relations. And if we thought about, or if we would have thought about funding the structures, the institutions, this wouldn't have resulted really in a better research output, but rather maybe in the improvement of things at the university, which would not have benefited the researchers directly. So, what do you say? Of course, you're right, and this is something that we've also found mostly in authoritarian contexts and settings. And there, the recommendations rather go in the direction of supporting individuals, supporting researchers that strive maybe for a more critical approach to these liaisons, as you have、um, just mentioned them. And this could also mean that in a context like、uh, Afghanistan, which has experienced a crisis in in August 2021, that、uh, one would support researchers in diaspora. And maybe not the most close to government institution. So, if I understand you correctly, this means that while research in fragile context is very important, one should really adapt to the specific constellations, because maybe not only diaspora researchers should be funded now in the case of Afghanistan, but also some of the. Research institutions which manage to stay on the ground and which might still be doing very valuable work. And in order to understand the specific contexts, I think research partnerships remain a very relevant tool 
because through the embeddedness of researchers from the specific context, from the onset of research undertakings, one can make sure that the necessary knowledge, the necessary context sensitivity is included in the governance of the respective research project. And as such, the probability will be higher that we will manage to make sure that the impact of the funds going into the encouragement of research, both institutionally, individually, and in regard to particular programs, will be best allocated. I totally agree. Our studies have shown that research donors can play a positive role in strengthening knowledge ecosystems by supporting such fair and equitable partnerships as you have just mentioned, by designing context-specific modalities and by adopting a conflict sensitivity approach to research. There you have it. Actionable, context-specific recommendations for strengthening knowledge ecosystems in fragile contexts. If you want to know more about the case studies on Afghanistan, South Sudan, Laos, Cambodia, El Salvador, Ethiopia, Lebanon, and Cote d'Ivoire, head over to the full case study reports, including country-specific recommendations. If you want to know more about the conceptualization and methodology of this knowledge ecosystems research, take a look at the synthesis report. Links are all in the show notes. These studies were carried out with the aid of a grant from the International Development Research Center, IDRC, in Ottawa, Canada. The views expressed here do not necessarily represent those of IDRC or its Board of Governors. We thank IDRC for the fruitful collaboration and for the support. To keep up with Swiss Peace's work, follow us on Twitter at Swiss Peace. We look forward to hearing your feedback on this report and thank you for listening.